And you're listening to The Clubcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Oh, I'm calling out, calling out. Oh, I'm calling out for you. Cause without you in my life, oh, I'm falling for something new. But I don't. Welcome to episode 98 of the Collabcast. We are slowly making our way towards episode 100. Yeah, we are. It is, let's say Friday, December 16th, 2016. Let's just say this. My name is Marvin Yue. I'm Mindy Chang. And we are your hosts for this weekly look at pop culture from an Asian American eyes. <laughs> that was a little halting. <laughs> um, and this week we're joined by... Let's see. Let's, let's, we got we got lift off his titles now. He is Moana friend super of fan. the pod, Moana super fan, um, <laughs> lead producer and curator for Tuesday Night Cafe in Los Angeles. He is um, former Mister Hyphen, and now and current Haiku on Hottie. Haiku with Hottie. Haiku on Hottie. Yeah, um, Mister October. October. Mister October. I did not know this morning. How dare you? No, I, I, it was my campaign. I got him on there. <laughs> it's, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's That's so, why you should know. Oh, uh, it's so funny. I like didn't. I I legit thought Ada because last year Ada kind of mentioned it, mm-hmm. and I thought she was joking. So I legit laughed, and then she this year was like, "Well, because last year you didn't seem really interested in it." I was like, "Oh, you weren't kidding." <laughs> <laughs> the jokes—they were real. Yeah, last last year it was a um, Twitter movement of two between me and Ada. Yes. Hashtag get Sean on Hotties. I'm sorry, I should contributed, but I don't go on Twitter. <laughs> no one, no one needs to contribute to that. Campaign. No, That's we fine. we did. There's a lot of other Twitter that can. Sean Muir is here, everyone. Welcome, here. welcome hey, back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. What? Um, so who's between Jenny Yang and I? How I many? Think there's anybody? No, you guys are the top two. We're the top two. Yeah. I think you you I think you pulled up to even. All right. In this appearance. She may have one on you still, but um, Sean is very Jenny, much Jenny Yang is Jenny Yang can win. And <laughs> she she deserves all of the the wins. Well, so. if we look at 2016 <laughs> appearances, I think Sean has the edge. Yeah, I think because he, he was did. our first guest too of 2016. Were you? What were we talking? We're about? doing this whole reflection on this year because we're at 100. <laughs> it's awesome. That was back when you guys were talking about Sundance. You guys had just come back from Sundance. Yeah. Oh, that was that was the our first, first one of 2016. 2016? Well, it was episode fifty-two, so it was like, because then that means you that means y'all missed like a month and a half. Did we? I thought we were like consistent every mm. week. Okay, I may have exaggerated. We had maybe. Mm. It was when I came back from Asia. Asia. Aha. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, memories. Time flew. I can't believe it's Sean was. Why? It was episode 52 for sure. It was the end of our first year. I appreciate Sean that you on. like remember yeah. what episode number that was. I don't, I'm not very good with numbers, so I appreciate when people He's can remember He's in the this memory story. bank. He basically, I don't know anything. I'm like, Marvin, when did this happen? <laughs> Who was there? What did they wear? I don't know. What did they say? How did they sound? <laughs> they sound like Sean. He hasn't changed his voice since then. Like this. How was his hair? <laughs> Maybe I should experiment with voices over the course of the next hour. Oh, yeah. we should. I've we'll been experimenting recall, with voices, we'll and they've all gone over poorly with <laughs> people. <laughs> it's been... We can never so be too welcoming. for those of you just joining in, you missed at least 30 minutes of unusable audio of Minji and Sean singing Moana tunes. What do you mean unusable? Okay, Sean, back at one. <laughs> and... <laughs> it's really taken over. Oh, for good reason too. It's yeah, yeah. and I, I know you already talked about Moana, so we don't need to launch into that. But it's but it's we will. So it's just so interesting from like a cultural standpoint. See, yeah. this we didn't cover completely, so you can feel free to. All right, yeah, so all right, maybe let's um, get my... into our roundtable segment, where every week we talk about what's on our minds in the world of pop culture, and what's on Sean's mind is obviously Moana. It's Moana, y'all. Like I I am I am thinking about Moana a lot right now and it's not I only saw I've only seen it once. When did you see it? I saw it the I want to say the weekend it came out. 
Uh, oh, so it's been a minute, but you're, it's still on your mind. I saw it right before Thanksgiving because... Um, These high-fived. My, we high-fived. Yeah. Uh, the parents and I have a tradition of watching movies over thanks over the holidays. Yes. And so we saw um, Moana this year, and it... it I, I'd already been anticipating it. I mean, I think especially working in, you know... API spaces like Asian Pacific Islander spaces like you're we're always a little bit like it's that Jenny Yang thing and to, to, to invoke her again the, the whole rep, rep sweats, sweats. Um, and as East Asian American folks also understanding that our experience is totally separate from that so it's like complicated because people Layers. could see yeah because people could see our validation of Moana as Pacific Islander endorsement of Moana, which is in itself super complicated because obviously we don't, we can't do that. So yeah. um, I've been reading up a lot on like what the process was to making it. And I, to make it, I know that you all sort of talked a lot about um, the Oceanic Trust at the last one, sort of how we touched um, on it. Touched we on we it. kind of touched on the, the, the pushback from the PI community in general because of the whole, I mean, on a, on a base level, this is a, corporation taking culture a culture that isn't totally. theirs and kind what, of creating what, commercial like question yeah. out of that, was right? the oceanic trust created because of pushback or did, was it it was created because of pushback well oh, i think okay. i think yeah. it was probably created because well first off john lasseter is the head of walt disney animation studios i believe right now and he's former pixar so pixar, yeah. they have a dedication pixar has always had like a dedication to storytelling that's a little bit more nuanced than oh this is going to be about a boy from this fictional place called Agrabah. Let's give him a flying carpet because I read that in a book somewhere. And then I <laughs> His went monkey's to name's Abu. Great. Yeah, you know? Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, the the filmmakers were sort of, you know, these two older white men <laughs> were, were sort of challenged to actually build it. And also, I think we're in a moment where studios recognize that they need to address the communities that they're representing. Yeah, and yes. that was something we talked about last week, or the conclusion we came to. At the very least, ABC, Disney... Looking at their programming, looking at them commercially try to expand their programming to be more diverse, they're probably the, the people who are doing the most in this type of I type think of that thing, right? yeah, I think they're the most visibly yeah um, committing to which matters a lot which matters a whole lot and I it's think it, yeah it's it's incredible important. but and, like, and we're also in a time when like um Kubo. And the two strings. I have a lot of feelings about that movie, but I, didn't watch that. I was going to bring that up later on because it got nominated for best animated feature. Yeah, at the Globes. Yeah, we can talk about that. I, my feelings are not what I think a lot of people think they are. But mm. the main thing with that was that was I, I was speaking to I think the either head of marketing or president of Leica. Um, I can't remember what his, who who he was, uh, but he was saying that that's the most money they've ever put behind a feature film. Within their studio, Kubo. Yeah. Wow. Granted, it also did the worst of all their films. <laughs> yeah. But um, they they put a whole lot of money behind it, and I think like that's a testament to the fact that studios like we like I think like it's it's we rightly should be continuing our critique of Hollywood, but I think it's a win that they're listening. Yeah, and even Moana is proving that these types of stories can make tons, shit tons of money when done well, yep. with, when done with that Disney spit and polish, right? Totally. And I think, you know, a, a lot of what we're talking about with representation is like making the case that diversity can be a viable business, you know... Um, decision. Decision, yep. right? And things like this just, it validates that if someone says, well... We don't know if that kind of story can make money. You can just point to Moana and say, mm, that made tons of money. Totally. And I think it also, also one thing to bear in mind is the timeline, right? Like Moana went into production, Kubo went into production long before Oscar So White. Mm -hmm. long, Four years ago. Right? So like a lot of these decisions are kind of being made after the film was already well underway. And so um, even if we don't give them the benefit of the doubt of it being from the beginning, the fact that they were retroactively like, oh, crap, we should probably get on this, means that moving forward, there's a higher chance that we're going to see this. I want to know the exact timeline, because we, when we went, we went to a screening at Disney, and we, there was a panel of Asian Pacific Islander uh, 
employees who worked on the actual film. Well, they really brought it out. Yeah. yeah. But the, the the narrative that they were, the picture that they were painting was that this process was much more involved early on. That's what... Yeah. Well, what I've been reading is that the story was originally around Movi. Movi. Like the, okay. the god. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm like trying to pronounce it properly. It's not working. I'm trying. <laughs> what is the proper pronunciation? Because uh, obviously the rock is... Maui. Yeah, which it's is what Ali Ali'i is saying, I believe, mm. which is like closer than Maui. Maui. Yeah. Maui. 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 We're really sorry Maui. to anybody listening to this. We're trying. We're really <laughs> trying. Um but yeah, it's uh it's um it it was originally around him and then the more that they worked, I believe, with this oceanic trust, the more it was like, Well actually we should pivot the story a little bit because of XYZ. Yeah. Um and I think one the one piece of criticism that I've seen consistently is that that his character is like the weakest part of the movie, which I personally agree with. Yeah. I didn't think that he added much. Um, Oh, he was the rock. Yeah. And it was sort of like, he sort of felt like I was kind of watching, like whenever he appeared on screen, I was like, Oh, I can hear the money. Like I could hear the money bags. (laughs) I, didn't actually. I thought he. I feel like he was an accessory, yes. But and it w- the story was about Moana, which I felt is that was the whole point of the story. They they achieved it, and I think they approached it no, consciously, not trying to emphasize him so that she could have the shine. Yeah, so that's how I I personally yeah. approached it. I mean, if this was he was Dis- entertaining as hell. <laughs> yeah, if this was a Disney movie made like even. 10 years ago he would have been like strapping prince guy who saves her at the end right yeah or something like that or he, he would That's be like fair. the 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 real hero yeah right she would be the damsel in distress yeah. you know so it is cool that they subverted in terms of like western storytelling subverted the like he was he was like the um who's the 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 goat guy from hercules uh the oh god phil Phil, yeah, he's kind of like the Phil, except he's oh, big the, and buff, Phyllis, right? Phyllis CDs, yeah, yeah, he's like the Mushu? the jokes. Yeah, he was the Mushu of Moana more than Hehe was, right? Yeah, Hehe was great. <laughs> I thought Hehe was a really smart choice because they they were able to do the comic relief without it being obnoxious. Yeah, which I liked. Um, Put a coconut on his head. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I I I think it. I, I did like appreciate though the storytelling style. I it when I first watched it, I actually was kind of thrown off because it was so fast paced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but right. Then I yeah. kind of realized that what they were doing, I would like to believe at least, is that they were mimicking like a more mythological storytelling structure, where it's less about there's like a broad arc, and we're gonna follow this one arc, and more like a bunch of small things happen, and in with it's in those small things that you learn more about these characters, and they grow, and they evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I thought that that was really interesting because it gave it a much more, it almost gave it a grander scale, mm-hmm. um, in a way. So. They could include a lot more. I felt like there's there's so much personally. Like compared to Frozen, right? Which was the hoopla of the hooplas back when it came out. For whatever, and I need to sit and like I haven't analyzed frame by frame as much. I can't, (laughs) I can't like articulate why, but I just felt that there was a lot more nuance and depth to her as a person. Her, and maybe it's just because I resonate with her personally, but I felt like her story was a Mm -hmm. lot stronger and much more compelling. I mean, Moana as a story of empowerment is much stronger than what Frozen was. Frozen was like they locked their daughter in a thing. And I was sad. <laughs> and I, like when they sang Moana built a snowman, my and heart broke. I mean, Fro- some, Frozen also takes place in two locations. Mm. If you think about it geographically, mm. Frozen only has two locales. It's the castle and the ice castle. But I feel like if you, even with that, it depends it. on how you tell the story, like how you're going to build the character. It, I didn't get as attached to either of them. Yeah. But with like everything, my heart was on a roller coaster. It's like why? And it's definitely a movie that grew on me. Like at first, like none none of these songs are as strong as "Let It Go," but then I the more you listen to it, the more like you realize they tell more. They're stronger. <clears throat> they're they they're written by Lin Manuel Miranda. Like that's pretty much <laughs> who was what brought onto the project before Hamilton. 
Yeah. Well, which was really yeah. cool. That was like a cool fact. Yeah. That. I, I thought, you know, your assumption is, oh, they brought on like the Hamilton guy, but he, it was before he was <laughs> and Hamilton. It, I mean, if you think about the timeline, like Hamilton was what? 2014, 2015? Yeah, so he yeah. was in the yeah. process of writing it writing when it, they yeah. brought him on. They didn't know that it was going to yeah. be what yeah. it was. And I mean, it it's it's written like a bro- it's it sounds like a Broadway yeah soundtrack. I mean, he soundtrack more than I think any other. At that Disney point, movie. he'd already like cut his teeth as a Tony winning yeah like director and writer. Yeah, right. So, but still, but no yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, back to but back to like the 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 way that it sort of like interacted with like the the way that they approached it like the. Like having Ali be the lead was just so perfect on so many levels, and I don't know what her training background is. I know she went to like come or she goes to Kamehameha High School. She goes to Kamehameha High School. Um, <laughs> what year is she? She's like sixteen. She's now. sixteen. Oh yeah. my! She was like fourteen God. when she was brought on. Recorded it. Yeah. She is so lovely. And like the fact that, and like I don't know if folks know the history of Kamehameha School, but it's a school high school that you have where. In order to be a student, you have to be part Native Hawaiian. Mm. And so it's actually, um, there's been controversy around it because, like, white folks who moved to Hawaii have been (laughs) like, why can't I go? You may not attend this school. (laughs) Well, there are a lot of reasons for that in history. Um, So it, it, it's cool seeing this movie on a number of different levels. As a um, non-PI person, I don't want to represent that I know whether it's I can't, I can't speak we to can't authenticity speak to that, yeah. or any of that. But in terms of symbolism, as like a third party person, it looks it's still appreciated. It's I really feel like is beautiful, and it's really great that they. It's great that they they took these steps and it paid off, which I think is how it can be done. Yeah, right. I means you got to meet Ollie. I met her on Saturday, and she's just like, she's just a bright light. <laughs> She's so, I don't know, I just adore her. And I got to meet her mom. And her mom was just so blown away that, like, everyone was, like, adoring her. I was like, why are you surprised? And then <laughs> I hugged her. She's a wonderful woman. And I just hugged her. And I was like, thank you for your daughter. And thank you to you. This is, like, you don't know. You guys have given a true gift to the world. Like, it's amazing. And she's like, she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> she just she's like, thank you so much. I was like, no. <laughs> We're totally yeah. in that mode. But it was it was really uh, great. a great yeah. moment. Yeah. And I just. And it kind of breaks down like the conception that an animated movie has to have superstar vocal talent. Exactly. Which and I mean, sure, The Rock. But. Well, he was the draw again. When we yeah. look at the formula of how you still mm. it, it is a huge marketing. Style, and I think he killed it. He was great. In my opinion, yeah. when Disney you're welcome, all that's it's amazing. But like he wasn't just a prop. I feel like he played a really great character very, very well. But in anything, he was like a helpful platform to then put her and like let her shine, which mm-hmm. she absolutely did. And when she's there in her in her moment, she embraced lived in that moment like a thousand percent there are girls that could have gone in that spot and not delivered what she did totally yeah so props to her well bottom line is if you haven't watched moana yet you done messed up (laughs) treat yourself yourself. this holiday season so okay uh, that moana talk took longer than i thought it would but it's okay it's just like stuck in my just like playing we all just just um but before we go i just want to really it's a we're coming up on award season so um on my mind's kind of this whole like what is it gonna be like this coming year right like obviously um last year everyone thought there would be an adjustment to oscar so white and it didn't happen but this year um there's been early buzz and you know golden globe nominations just came out and there's a lot more let's say diversity in the nominations movies like moonlight um like lion nudge nudge um, people like denzel's getting um nominated for fences Dev patel for lion and (laughs) it's funny i'm looking at the animated best motion picture and it's a moana obviously and then the other the only other film here that could have starred people of color but didn't is kubo and the two strings Kubo and the two and strings. I'm gonna use that Not to three. segue to two, two, because we never talked to Sean about his his reactions to it. And I remember, I think we talked about this offline a little bit, but you liked it, right? I thought it was a good movie. 
Okay, so I mean, I guess starting with positives, <laughs> it was enjoyable. Like you know, there was like the it was clean, it was stop motion, which is always fun for the kids, and it like you know the story was fine. It wasn't like the best story I've ever seen, but it was like it took it took notes from Japanese history, which I thought was cool. I thought it was great that it actually they did their research. That's nice. They did their research. Um, they were like just an, they were the pro, the the problems with it were like the main problems with it were like just it was like they were strange enough. It's like you know when somebody tries to make a cake, but it's clear they don't know what goes in a cake. So like what comes out is more like a loaf of bread. But they're calling it a cake. It's very specific. um. It's like just to the right. Like it's just not quite (laughs) correct. Like they had this section where they had like these. There was a section where it was supposed to be like a Japanese festival, Kolobon. And they had these two songs that are like in modern day times, like Obon songs. Um, But if you think about the history of them, one of them became popular like 50 years ago. And the other one, like, isn't actually really an Obon song. And then they're from two separate parts of Japan. <laughs> and then the people in the scene are wearing, like, dancer clothes, but for the wrong song. So it's, like, just... It's, like, cur- you're, I'm, like, you're not right. wrong, you're like, but you're not quite... Yeah, and then, like, Kubo is, like, a last name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it'd be, like, if the main character's name was, like, Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Um like Stevenson. Stevenson. Like so Johnson McTyler. Yeah. Menzel. Like it's just <laughs> weird. So I didn't know it was like things were just just wrong enough that it was weird, but just right enough that I was like, I mean, I can't be mad at it. So <laughs> Your face. I yeah. want to capture this expression really, of. It was. I'm so torn. Yeah, right I was now. just like, I'm. But then at the end of it, I'm like, it's that sad thing of like, you know what? It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. I'm so I'm just gonna be. Made. I'm gonna celebrate this. Yeah. I'm gonna celebrate the victory that it wasn't awful. So. Yeah. Um. So yay. So that was great, and I, I, I'm like, and I, I was like, also, it was awesome seeing like an Asian face in a kids movie, not only in a kids movie, but on billboards all over Los Angeles. So I was That's like, it. I can appreciate all this. And they clearly dumped a lot of money into it. That said, it, this is where Moana is really interesting to me because Moana disproved what I think Kubo was running on, which the, is the defense. That, yeah. The defense, which is that the main characters for Kubo are a boy named Kubo, Kubo's mom, and a giant beetle samurai, which... <laughs> Is, I just, which I is another thing because the reason why he's a beetle is because the word for beetle lends itself to or is is borrowed from a samurai helmet, the word for samurai helmet. Mm. And I think that they Googled that because beetles don't exist in Japanese folklore really. So I was kind of like, why is he a the, beetle? Yeah, that was kind of a deterrent for me to watch. I don't know. No, I was like, why did I not watch it? I didn't make a point to watch it. And there was like, why is there a Matthew man? McConaughey was also yeah. just terrible but yeah so like <laughs> a bug man. the three main voices were matthew mcconaughey as beetle man who was terrible like he phoned it in a um, texan cowboy yeah yeah it was not okay. good again charlie's theron as the mom again japanese mom and then random scottish child as Kubo, I think he's Scottish. I'm sorry if you're not Scottish, but like, be but they were, <laughs> and I'll be shooting for my, my own. own hand. My name is Kubo, and I'll be playing shamisen for my own life. I forgot about Sean's Merida impression. Here we are in Japan, ancient Japan. It's great. It's great. It's great. I'm here with my mom, Charlie Theron. Charlie Theron, mom, how you doing? Um, so yeah, it was just like I what? love you, mom. I love and you, mom. I remember that was a big thing. Why I. It turned me Scottish. off about it, right? Because I don't think he's actually Scottish. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and they made a big deal. We 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 made a big deal about that as a, as a community about like that's kind of messed up. And then yeah. they're like, "But we got George Takei." But oh yeah, and George Takei has one line is literally. But oh he my. got like top billing. Yeah, but yeah. like, and the, and this is the thing where they tried really hard to to bury the fact that they messed up in casting by like in the credits assigning names to 
Japanese American extra voices <laughs> who had no names in the movie. It was just like did all, they get IMDb credits? Is that I think they did. They probably did. But uh, it's as it's extra like voices. It's like total like it, it was a total like they went into production in this a year too early. Yeah. And so they just missed the Oscar So White thing. And then after Oscar So White, they were like, oh, crap, we need to figure this out. So, and then they they pulled some other stuff on a community level to kind of like smooth it over with people who would be confusing. But like my, my thing with it is um, we should have supported it because there was an Asian face. And I know that that's a terrible thing to say. And I normally never agree with that. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I do agree with that is because people in the advertising industry, what advertisers do is they look at movies that are similar, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes. They yeah. look at movies that are similar right, categories and category. Yeah. They look at their spend and they look at how it did in the box office. Mm-hmm. And then they base advertising spends on and that. investment on that. So uh, exactly. Right. Like, exact, like we said with Moana, like making that business case. Yeah. Like, here we have one that makes the case and one that, so doesn't make it. Yeah, so right. like Moana and Big Hero 6, I think, are kind of helping that category. Yeah. But Kubo did not. And I think what's cool, again, about Moana is we can point to it and be like, this is one model for making a movie with a community of color. You did the same thing with Big Hero 6 by hiring Japanese-American slash Asian-American actors and an Asian Japanese-American visual designer. Um, this is how not to do it, by yeah. having a Scottish... <laughs> I'm here with me, mom. I'm here with me, mom. It was very magical. We lost my dad. But it's fine. We make, we fold paper. It's a lot of fun. I'm making cranes today. Welcome to I'm just gonna keep Tokyo. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm offending Scottish people. I'm sorry, Scottish people. I really, no, that's good. Really do your Shakira. It's, <laughs> it's a good sign because we didn't get into this, but the whole, like, the Hollywood Reporter had a diversity panel for animators um, where all the panelists were white dudes. And, um, uh-huh. When was this? Where? Today. That was today. Oh, lovely. And then um, the, the the filmmakers of Moana were in it. And in it, they were talking about how like this was the most research they've ever done for a film. Whereas like when they did Which their research for Aladdin. Yeah. All the Disney That's movies that saying, take like... place <laughs> The yeah, world. they're saying they did their they, they did their background research for Aladdin at a Arabian expo in Los Angeles, and that's how they came up with the designs. And did uh, they share that aesthetics. willingly, or did they feel yeah. like okay? I kind of wonder though. I, I haven't heard the audio, so it's possible that the tone was like that was how janky it was. Was that we yeah. did? I want. Yeah. To I don't want to say that they are saying that proudly. I want but to like, believe. I mean, there could be like you know at at one point in time. That was our I think research. that was probably the tone because they, I think through making Moana, at least through the, the PR, the publicity, they seem very like excited and thankful that they were able to like be. Yeah. Listen, you know. white, white people are having a hard time catching up with the times <laughs> right now. So I'm kind of like willing to give them a little bit more yeah. of the doubt. Yeah. Because I get it. It's hard. <laughs> Bottom line is like, I think at least with Moana, you see the effort, you see the institutional dollars being put behind making the most respectful story yes. that they can put out. And, and that's great. Coupled we need, with we a need, great story. We need more of that in our world. And great music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, that was Moana Talk, I guess. Um, at least one more of these episodes should suffice for 2016. Perhaps don't, don't speak too soon. Um, before we go on break, do you have anything on your mind, Angie? Um, you gotta I, stop because we have we're, we already owe Disney like ten million dollars. I know um, from all the singing. Well, wait until the end of the show. <laughs> um, Eight trillion dollars. Uh, one thing that I wanted to one thing that's on my mind that is in light of all the Golden Globe nominees and all the all that stuff. Sundance is on my mind mm-hmm. because Goop the film is in, and nice. I'm excited. And I'm pretty sure I get to go again. <laughs> um, but in in general, it's great to. I just kind of want to put it out there as an acknowledgement of like all these stories because we were talking about uh, the LA riots and we talked about it here and there about a historical reference and then in the reference of film um, that it's made by Justin Chan. It's made by a Korean American Angelino who lived through it, who had parents who experienced all of that. And to make that, again, it's just real authentic stories that come from the source that come with like authenticity. I don't know. They have so much heart. And that's why I think, I don't know if that was his goal 
originally to like get into Sundance. I think he just wanted to make it. Um, I'll find out because I hope I interview him. But um, no, I just think that it's really cool that, that those stories are getting out there increasingly and getting their shine. Yeah. Um, and getting made with quality and getting made with uh, with passion and, you know, people climbing on board that are not part of the community per se. But yeah. That's awesome. And maybe we'll touch on this later on in our next segment. For sure. Because it's, it's, it's about people needing to know our histories. Um, we're going to talk learning. a little bit about. <laughs> I've talked to them so much that I continue to learn from you guys all the time because I was like, I had no idea. Cool. Well, congrats to uh, Justin Chan and Jamesy and all of those guys David for, so. for, uh, for making the Sundance. Um, hopefully good things. All the good things. <laughs> Party! We'll be right back with more from the Collabcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Collabcast. This podcast, of course, is brought to you by Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment, discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of our Asian American creative communities. You can learn more about Collaboration by going to our website at www.collaboration.org, where you can find out more about our programs as well as check out our digital content offerings, including blog articles, videos, and podcasts like this one. As always, Collaboration is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we are accepting year-end donations to help us with our 2017 programs. If you'd like to support our programs, including our local talent discovery showcases, as well as this podcast, please visit collaboration.org donate. Any assistance is greatly appreciated and is 100% tax deductible. The Collabcast is also a part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts and podcasters from the Asian American community. Learn more about the collective as well as our member podcast by going to podcastpotluck.com. There's a lot of great programming there. And if you like what you hear from this podcast, please check out the other great programming from Potluck. Every week, I like to highlight one of our fellow Potluck podcasts. And this week, I wanted to direct your attention to Asian Americana, a podcast hosted by Quincy Sarah Smith about the slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. It's a great podcast that goes in depth and brings you Asian American stories um, from peoples and communities that belong in and build our American culture, including stories about Asian culture curator Giant Robot, the Root CSA that supports uh, farmers in California's Central Valley, and the story of Locke, a town near Sacramento founded by Chinese Americans. You can check out Asian Americana as well as the other podcasts of the Potluck Collective by going to our website at www.podcastpotluck.com. And that'll do it for this week's break. Thanks again for listening, and let's get you back to the show. And welcome back to episode 98 of the Collabcast. I'm Marvin Yue, joined by... Minji Chang. Minji Chang. Minji Chang. Shamira. That's me. Hello. That's you. We've hey. turned our late night voices back on. Shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, I will up. say, like when we talk like that, it, it gets a little bit too like. I feel very like we should be we should be like introducing a classical baroque waltz. Yes, for we two. should be. Like, it's a I thought too... this is like R and B, like no, I was just jazz, I was just R&B. breaking things up. It's specifically to annoy Marvin. Hello, hello. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I was we trying to be classical. We, we can't send Disney any more money. No, it wasn't Disney. Had. That was Baroque. You didn't see. You didn't get that. There was there was a difference. All right, and I'm really happy to um, introduce the next song. Um, this is straight off of the Bach collection. See, you say I have NPR voice, but Sean's NPR voice is way better than mine. This fall, <laughs> this um, multi-disc compilation. Is one of the um one of the one of the one of the <laughs> finest examples of how compiling and anthologizing a composer's work can really give us a deeper understanding of their role in influencing modern music and yeah. discourse. I believe we we feature a cello this time around, correct? The piece that we are going to be playing does feature um, Boston Philharmonic soloist um, John Gershwin. On the cello, um, he, I'm such a fan of John. He's a gem. You know, he he's he's um he's a diamond in the rough. I he's mean, gone really. down. I'm just gonna say that. I feel like he's very overrated. He, I disagree. I with feel that like in the past few. Okay, we gotta. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We gotta keep going. Improv, baroque improv. 
There are so many people so mad right no, now. No, that I'm, a, <laughs> I'm about to jump in with my, hey, welcome to the morning zoo. <laughs> <laughs> the douche. <laughs> There's going to be really mad that we were using their Just time. Marvin and Minji. They're Morning's highly entertained. What are we saying? I was Anyways. starting to listen to the Anna Ferris, the unqualified. Mm-hmm. Po- she's amazing. <laughs> I just want to go hug her. Um, the reason we brought Sean on is to um, help us unpack some stuff that happened um, this week regarding, you know, our our local newspaper, the LA Times. Small, small local newspaper, small the LA Times. <laughs> it's a teensy little publication that um, some people occasionally did something that maybe wasn't so good or smart. All right, so yeah, dive right in. Just to, just to just break it down. Yeah, yeah. So ba- basically, on uh, November twenty sixth, twenty eighth, twenty eighth, on November twenty eighth, um, writer for the LA Times named Carolina Miranda wrote this piece in which she went to a few different um, locations around the states. Um, she went to like Little Rock High School, like where um, there's like that famous photo when schools were desegregated. Um, she went to the Selma to Montgomery National Historic Trail in Alabama, which marked the path of the 1965 um, march where they, in which they were trying to get voting rights for black folks in the U.S. Um, and she also visited Tule Lake, which is one of the harshest um, Japanese-American concentration camps or incarceration camps, depending on which word you want to use, um, in the United States in 1942. So for some background, for those who don't know, um, 19, December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor is attacked by the Japanese Imperial Army. Um, February 19th, um, 1942, uh, Executive Order 9066 is signed in, which issues a curfew, I believe, and then that eventually leads to um, an incarceration order. Um, so basically what that means is anyone of Japanese American or Japanese ancestry living on the West Coast um, has to is put in a camp. Um, without due process of law. So um, if you go through the timeline, there are about 120,000 people. That The number varies, but the number I use is 120,000 people who are put in these camps, men, women, children of all ages. My dad was three. Um, and they are in these camps typically for about like three to four years. Um, some people leave early so they can work out east. Um, some people are strong-armed into, or or voluntarily actually, um, go off to war to fight. Um, the 442nd Unit uh, Regiment and the 100th Battalion and the Military Intelligence Service are the three um, army units that kind of comprise this all-Japanese-American um, force, and they become the most decorated unit in the U.S. military to this day, the most decorated. That means that they had the most casualties, they had the most um, deaths, um, and the most acts of bravery because they were basically being used as cannon fodder. So um, they're also being used as PR. So when the government was like, wait, hold on, wait. So when we put them in camps, we just realized that um, we can't hold them there forever because we're, we we put 120,000 people in camps and we can't, Doesn't we look can't good. just do that. For, we can't do that forever. So we need to figure oh. out a way. They're like, oh, oh, oh. Okay, we need to think about this. So they use that as a PR. They use these military folks as a PR piece, and they're like, "Well, they proved that they're loyal. Let's let them out." They let all these Japanese Americans out. There was a lot of psychological trauma. There was a lot of um, emotional damage done. It like um, destroys some families. It businesses, a lot of folks businesses. Honestly, yeah, business. I mean, yeah, like everything. not not even to talk about businesses and like houses and um, property. Um, my dad grew up being called like you know Japanip on the playground. Um, my grand my grandfather put all like basically like all this money down on a farm the day before Pearl Harbor, and all that money and that farm were gone when he left with camps. So it it did huge 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 damage, and then also Japanese Americans like there was a lot of guilt and shame because we felt like on some level it was our fault. Um, which is, I think, in many ways a cultural thing, but is also just trauma. And gaslighting and yeah, brainwashing. Just bad, and, yeah. all of it. So uh, so it takes about like 20 years for the next generation, third generation, to come to a place of like, oh, that actually happened. Our parents didn't even tell us about that. We get to the 80s, and then we fight for redress and reparations. We get, um, which is basically the fight for 
monetary redress and an apology, and the U.S. government signs apologies to every living person, uh, every survivor of the camps, and issues $25,000, which is a token sum, if you think about all that was lost. Mm -hmm. So what we have, that all said, the laws never... No legal action is taken that deter that that deems that the camps can never happen again. So they're right. still in good legal standing, which is what brings us to today. Mm -hmm. So we have an apology, we have money given, we have multiple, we have the government apologizing over and over again. We have them making Manzanar a national park. We have Tule Lake as a national park. We have all of these things where the government has acknowledged that they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. In many, many ways, on many, many different levels of government. So, flash forward, November 28th, Carolyn, um, Carolina Miranda writes this piece about going to Tule Lake. Doesn't even editor, editorialize on it. Doesn't even say, like, oh, this was a... She, she says it was a dark moment in, in American history, which I think we can all agree. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are on the party, on the party line, like, we can all agree that. She never says, like... She never even says this should never happen again. She never even says this was a bad thing. Like she never even says all the things most people would say. But two people write into the LA Times. They say this was an unbalanced article. Mm -hmm. They say it was an unbalanced article. They say that it was a necessity because Japanese people would have gotten hurt if they were left out. Also because Japanese people are one, so family oriented. Are so family -oriented. And like, let me tell you, okay, like, yeah, we, we are family oriented. We're not that family oriented. So they're like, they're so family oriented that like, if their relatives in Japan were like, do something then they would just do it, which is not true. And then there's just all these, these, these articles, these letters are just like factually incorrect. I'm not going to like sit here and like talk about that. If you think that bringing balance means saying incorrect things then you don't know incorrect yeah. non-facts then you just you don't know from. what balance means and i get it dictionaries are really long um <laughs> so balanced is like you have to get through the a's and then there's probably like the b parts where it's like the like i get it we've added a lot of words <laughs> it's lately as well. it's really hard so i'm not gonna like get into that like you can google that yourself but the problem is that we know that those letters got sent in because the LA Times decided to publish them. That's, yeah. Which, first of all, we have to start by saying thank you for publishing the initial article. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I think that shows you know that the camps were not a good thing and you... It's important to... Yes. Like... Talk about Talk it. Talk about it. Yeah. So LA Times, thank you. Like we know, like thank you. That said. And then <laughs> what the like what what was like what were you who like like who read yeses, those who read those questions? Who who read those letters and said, Yes, we're gonna publish these on our most popular day. Yeah, who's who's gonna sit here and be like, Oh, you know what? Yeah, I think I think what this article needed is some bullshit. <laughs> I think that's I think that's what the article needed. I think what the article Here they are. Here, you know what? American public, you deserve some bullshit because there's not enough happening right now. Um it's good to be talking about being balanced in a time when we're talking about registries and Islamophobia and like you know, it's it's really good for us to like take a pause and think about being conservative like i don't like who so it, it's i get like i think it's it's hard for me to fault the la times as an organization it's my thing is like who was that there one are, person there are human beings that are part of this organization yeah so organization who are those human of, beings yeah right. yeah of people with eyes so, and brains that are like deemed very very qualified to run a publication that impacts what, how many million people are in, are in the greater Los Angeles area? Well, it's, it's also a national paper. I mean, it's yeah. national paper, but I'm saying, like, it's going to show up on the doorstep there and then digitally <clears throat> millions elsewhere. Yeah. Somebody said yes. And it's, I feel like the LA Times, especially for representing such a diverse city, has been dropping the ball, like, left and right in these types of issues for the last couple of months. But in terms of just, like, they, they did issue a 
a online apology. They right? did. Yeah. They did. And like to their credit, that came relatively quickly. Um, and like there was, it was very, I thought it was very fairly written. I think that it did a really good job of understanding the organization that they are. I think that it did a good job of defending their own editorial integrity while also admitting fault. Yeah. Um, and it was like, yeah, it was great. It was good. There was a there was a Huffington Post piece that went up that like was like not very helpful. So yeah. it was actually good that the LA Times sort of provided a counterpoint to itself. And but yeah, I mean, yeah. in the end, the media and the press they're supposed to kind of, like it's it's kind of frustrating to always have to explain like these nuances to people who are supposed to be by all accounts, pretty smart and investigative and like people who know words, right? People who've job, whose jobs are words. Um, and it comes like, so another thing, so this brings us to this other troubling aspect of our culture in general is how many people don't know the facts, don't know the, the history. I mean, you ask people on the street, and I don't know how many of them will actually know what Manzanar is. But, I don't think right. a lot of people do. But e- even more than that, I think it's we're in a world right now where we can't being being sensible and informed and being balanced is very important. But creating a false narrative as to what is balanced or what is unbalanced is going to be super damaging over the next four years. Yes. But it's challenging right now because everybody has this, like, including myself, you have, you you feel like you're just walking into a circus right now where you're like, I don't know where to look and I don't know what to trust and I don't know what is based on what, where they pulled this fact. Like, that's literally, and maybe it's just because I've gone down this whole strange depressing vortex in the it's last month. It's been a tough month. But and year, right? Yeah. Like all of it. This this year in particular has been very f- fact filled. I'm air quoting this, right? <laughs> like there's so many things and there's so many stories that are being thrown around about everything, about every freaking topic, about Kylie Jenner and then Kanye and then Trump and then, like it just like and how all of them are related, you know, and they actually are because Kanye <laughs> Anyway, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, so, but yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's just it yeah. goes there, and then like I, I don't know, and then I walk away, not really. So at this point, sometimes I'm like, what do I know? And that's where I've like stopped reading think pieces mm-hmm. entirely. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think they're helpful. And that's I, dangerous. Now I feel like I'm just disengaging, though. I'm like, but I, but it's it's one thing to disengage, another thing to know the facts mm-hmm. by. Seeing stuff and questioning it and reading another source yeah. that would not come from this, you know. And so, like, with this, it's that we're in a place where we're all saying things like Islamophobia is bad, racism is bad, sexism is bad, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then the right is looking at those statements and saying, well, well, Islamophobia, like, but actually we need to be thinking about how X, Y, Z. And it's being presented in a way that we can, that we inherently process as a moderate standpoint, but it's not moderate. It's just totally incorrect. So, like with this, if you read the letters, um, they even say. Sorry, I have it like pulled up right here because I'm super. <laughs> I love prepared. that you have it printed. Um, Dick Venn, who is the second piece. Um, What's up, Dick? who recommends reading Killing the Rising Sun, How America Vanquished World War II Japan by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. Um, the last thing, his last sentence is, one-way reporting is not very effective for the educated public. Please try a little balance next time. It's a lot more effective and honest. Which to me is actually something I hear a lot these days, where it's not you're wrong, it's you're unbalanced. And like you're you're being very one sided by saying that American Muslim folks are humans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's there there's this new tactic of how can we make it sound like the people on the left are completely biased. Right. And that's where all these opinions are coming from. And so that's where when you when I thought that's why I thought these letters were damaging. Like I'm not I've been lucky in my life to live in areas where we can all pretty much universally agree that the camps were not 
justified mm-hmm. for any right. reason. But it's at this moment right now where you're having, I, I think I see it on my timeline, a lot of people who have been historically moderate or apathetic who are seeing both sides of it and are trying to figure out, oh, do I, <laughs> should I go further left or should I be going further right? Because right now the right is like killing it. Mm-hmm structurally and the left like the left the right is making the left sound really whiny at the same time yeah for me it's really distressing the fact that saying that the camps were not good is seen as whiny it's i don't want to live in a world where like that is like i have to defend that the camps are bad totally and that's where i think like we need to figure out how we're talking about these things in a way that, and like, I, I I wouldn't have said this a year ago, but I think we need to figure out a way to talk about our communities that is totally rooted in fact and less in emotion, <laughs> which I think is terrible. And I don't, I don't mean that as a blanket statement. I think that obviously is case by case. But like I'm at a place where I'm learning to stop talking in terms of how I personally relate to things and more what the actual facts are. Word. Yeah. Because that to me is like the strongest way to make a case. Um, and the facts, because like when you have like factual evidence, factual stuff that is backed up versus like fake news site number five. It's it's a more compelling case. And I think, like, you know, there are, like, there is time. There are spaces where, like, obviously speaking to the emotional impact is key. Yeah. But I, I feel like more and more we we need to be really tight in the way that we talk about these things and the way that we combat all the bullshit that's kind of popping up now. So how does that... So, okay, so let's bring this down to, I guess, pop culture media... Um, because um, the way that pop culture media addresses these things is through feeling, is through emotion, right? Um, and it comes from being informed when you're making that media. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it was funny because I like as you as you guys were speaking, I was recalling um, the San Diego Asian Film Festival last year that I was a juror for, and there was one short that it was. The I thought out of all the ones that all the features and the shorts that I saw out of all, I need to know the name. I'm trying like I'm digging in my brain right now, but it was one short that was about a family returning to their home after they were interned, mm. and um, is just freaking gorgeous. And it's it's filmed in Central California, somewhere out in the woods, and it was just heartbreaking. And it was facts in emotion, and that's my ideal messaging. Like that's my wish of like how I would reach out to Dick and be like, yeah, take three minutes and watch this and then let's talk. Yeah. Like, let's just, we'll talk after you watch this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, there was, there was no dialogue or anything. It's just people returning home. It makes me wonder why there hasn't been like, cause the internment of Japanese Americans is one of the biggest civil rights violations that the, the United States has ever well, we're Done. just getting around to making like and really compelling movies about about slavery. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And also, like, yeah, let's let's not compare the civil rights violations. Yeah. Right. But yeah, no, but I like, I was just it, saying in general, like our wounds, like are things that we and and this is in, in a very micro personal level. Like, we're not that eager to be exposing. Like, this is all the yeah. ways that we messed <laughs> there, up. There also have been so if going back to the 50s, there was this movie called Go for Broke, mm-hmm. which was about. Um, the Japanese American Regiment. Then, if you flash forward to the seventies, there was a TV movie version of Return to Manzanar, um, which is like this book that's kind of become required reading in a lot of U.S. classrooms. Um, then, flashing forward to the nineties, there is Come See the Paradise, which I never saw, which starred Randy Quaid as like a white man who kind of saves. I, I, I've never seen it, but my <laughs> understanding is it's about like a white man who like saves the. Save the Jays. Oh, that old thing. Yeah, and then there's Snow Falling on Cedars, which is, again, mm. I think about, like, a white man who... Is in love with a Japanese girl. Something like that, yeah. So, like, there have been things, but I don't think... And, and like, the rumor has always been that Justin Lin is, like, saving up to make his right. big 442nd movie, which I don't 
I don't see it happening, but <laughs> if it if it would happen, I'm gonna keep cool. my fingers crossed. Yeah, well, keeping like, our fingers crossed. But do you, Do you think the 442nd story has to be told first before the internment camp story? I think it's just more. It's it's a more compelling and it's a lot easier. It's it's a less. I could see that. It's more compelling for the left and the right, mm. because yep. like it's undeniable when you have like all these purple hearts and all these medals of honor. So it's, it's, yeah. But I, I think for me, like it really, to go back to your original point, like I think this actually circles back to Moana in that the reason why that movie is so compelling and so beautiful and so relatable is that you're not sitting there like nothing again, not saying that I can judge authenticity, mm-hmm. but it didn't, it, it felt seamless and it felt, native like it felt like like nothing felt like it was weirdly out of place in a, in the way that i think a lot of movies do when mm-hmm. they're not well researched and i mean i think about like big hero six the small details were so of that world mm-hmm. because the creative design the design team was like like the main art director i think was a japanese american guy and so there were things that even I was wrecked. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's my kitchen," you know, <laughs> um, or like that. I have that. I have that in my room, you know. Right. So I think that it goes back to doing research. It goes back to considering what we mean by truth and fact, mm-hmm. and not just stats, yeah. but like truth in authenticity to somebody's story, somebody's lived experience, um, and somebody's context. And that's the way to me, like I, I watch a lot of Asian American movies or like read a lot of Asian American tweets and stuff that are just incorrect. And it, it it gives me pause because I'm like, all right, we need to continually educate ourselves. Yeah. yeah. But isn't it int- okay, like the saving grace a tiny bit if you want to be positive that people care enough to tweet about it. I mean, that's... Yeah, totally. You know what no, I'm saying? Agreed, like, agreed. it's just... I mean, like, agreed. No. I don't feel like I'm reaching there, but that is genuinely, like, how I look at it. Like, who who cared before? Yeah, and for, for yeah. me, it's more like, awesome, now that you care, can you L- read this let, book? Let's also yeah. read books now. <laughs> or like, let's go to the library, guys. Yeah, yeah I think people are, more, people are more aware of when things aren't right, um... Or at least more vocal about it instead of just letting it go or or, or rationalizing the yeah. way people are more like, well, that's not cool. Um, the next step would be to, well, what is, what did they get wrong? Right, right. I'm also just a firm proponent of Google. Like, <laughs> just I always, I I get stuff wrong all the time, but I try to Google everything I put, like mm-hmm. just to make sure that I'm getting dates and. Mm-hmm. Even histor- historical facts, right? Like on voting day, a bunch of people were tweeting that Asian Americans couldn't vote until the 60s. <laughs> and uh, like Taz and I spent like a good hour and a half like researching to check that. And it just wasn't true. Dude, where did that come from? Because the, so, so the, reason, the reason why was that um, a lot of Asian immigrants couldn't become citizens ah. until the 60s. But if, if you, you were, were a citizen, yeah. if you were born here, you can, you can vote. vote. Yeah. So it was just like, it was like not, <laughs> it was just like a weird generalization. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure like my grandmother was <laughs> voting before the 60s. Like I'm pretty positive. But yeah. On a pop culture note though, so one of the, the when I was reading the LA Times articles and going down that rabbit hole and getting all ah, um, <laughs> one of the related searches, I don't know how I, I got there, but there was a story in the New York Times about Bob Fletcher who recently just passed away at 101. He was the guy who um, was the caretaker for a lot of the farms. Yeah, right? he helped a lot of these farms um, stay afloat so that they could survive and like exist when people came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sounds like a great guy and it was like it's a really incredible story and then my mind immediately went to like okay so if they made a movie about the internments they would start with this because you could cast Joel Egerton <laughs> to play him you give him the give him give them that white yeah, savior get Matt Dave. narrative but the that thing they is, so okay, love but see but then I went there and then I, I got like oh god you know like yeah they're gonna do that but also but this is a real story and it's great and if you could get a really beautiful story um, to to be segregated, you know what? Like, yeah. I'd be on board. I'd be on board because you could, because this involves 
all these other elements to it make the story rich, to make it show why this mattered. And I was like, actually, you know, this is a real story. And if they brought in the, he really did help. Yeah. And the way that think you could tell a story compelling. Yeah, way. I think that's the difference. Is this is a real story of a real guy who did stuff. You know, yeah. You're not shoehorning in. But still, it the, still is the, the angle of like we need to bring in like a white celebrity. Yeah. But like, I still think it could be a great movie. Like, I, 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 I just yeah, I thought and, about and, this for and a like, while. And like stories that feature Asian Americans don't always get it right either. Exactly. Allegiance so was like. like Great. It was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Did you see it on Tuesday? Or? I saw it on Broadway. Oh, okay. I saw it on okay. screens on Tuesday. And yeah. It was just all inaccurate. Like it was I was watching this thing like what? Like this it opens up with them at like a festival and I'm like, What festival? This is like three <laughs> different festivals in one festival. Yeah. And then there's like a part where they're smuggling letters out of the camps. Yeah. And I was like, Where are they gonna smuggle them to if they can't leave the Camps slash they had a post off. They had a post office. I don't <laughs> think they had like I don't. Like, I not. think well, it's so they. another episode. Sean deconstructs the So they don't get censored. And yeah, no, I, I, I felt the same way. I felt like I'm glad I saw this. I'm glad the story got told. I'm not sure if it was like the best. It, it, see, but, and it, again, it feels yeah. like a stretch because it's yeah. not act like it yeah. doesn't fit together because you're creating your own puzzle pieces to build a picture that mm. has already the, been yeah. predetermined. What was really cool about, so I went to the screening in Santa Anita um, on Tuesday. Oh, wow, yeah. And there was a lot of people wearing like 442nd hats, yeah. like a lot of like old folk, but like people, Aww. yeah. And it was kind of cool that, because they wouldn't have been, been able to see it in Broadway, yeah. but they all came out to watch it. Yeah. My gramps yeah. probably went, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even know what was happening until... And I really wanted to ask them, like, what they thought. But I was like, oh, I can't I'm gonna go there. They're <laughs> like, also probably, like, what? They were at least 18. Yeah. So they're probably at least, like, 90. My grandpa's 99, 98. Dang. So they're all... I, it occurred to me that next year is the 75th anniversary. So if you were in the camps, you were at least 75 years old. Dang. Yeah. Which is nuts. I think it's a, and it's, I think it's a narrative that um, once the Asian American history films start coming, it's really interest will be inter- really interesting to explore because, I mean, what allegiance the core of allegiance is like drama was between what exactly patriotism is, right? Yeah. Like, like do you you know you have the people who volunteer to go fight for America to prove their loyalty, and you have those who resisted to prove their loyalty to like the values who were like right? blacklisted by the Japanese working community for a really long time. So I think yeah. it was awesome. They got, they got props, but yeah. yeah. And I mean, like in a way, I think I, this may just be because like, I've seen so many camp <laughs> movies. Like I, I feel like camp literature and movies have just like, for me personally, has been like a, a lot. Right. So like, I would love for like the civil rights, like the Asian American civil rights movie to happen just to think about like the stuff they were doing, like the protest, the way they would protest, like they would like glue locks on like school buildings and they were living in like communes and like, like basically like getting jobs at grocery stores so that they could like steal food for each other. Like there's some like really awesome stuff that happened then. And I think that that ties back to the camps. It ties to today. It ties to the immigrant story. So I'm just saying that as my pitch to whatever Asian American film person listening who wants to like do one and do your research while people are still alive because they're getting up in age. Yeah. The civil rights era, like the music, the art, the people, the drugs, like it was just such a time. (laughs) Like I want to see that movie before I I think you should be at least on the consulting team. They had the Oceanic Trust where we can call this Hire Shamira. Seriously, also story, that. story consultant. <laughs> no, literally, I'm. Well, for me, part of my 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 mission for Christmas. Now that we're like getting to that next week, um, I'm gonna go spend time with my grandma. I'm gonna. I have my iPhone. I'm gonna ask her to recount everything. I and I don't know how to approach it because I know it's gonna be reliving some shit that I don't think she really just like is eager to. But also, she was she she might. You know, I find that um, grandparents now that we're older are more open. I think. They didn't want to talk about the stuff when you were kids because they didn't want to like traumatize you. But now that you're older and you're, if you're asking, yeah, they all seem 
but at least my grandparents were a lot more open to like speaking my grandma and i think it's also it's that and it's also that like a lot of time has passed for her so that she can and she's watched like literally there's films that have came out like ode to my father and like all this these films that really are cathartic and releasing right like and that again that broke me because i didn't know like half of that i didn't know anything and it just made me so aware of like what I didn't know, what I need to continue to find while I still have my grandparents around because my grandpa- my grandfathers have passed away. Now I just have my grandmothers and they remember more to like in a lot of ways they have a different story. And yeah, I mean, this is the time to read them books and to ask them <laughs> questions and, you know, so I don't know. I just I'm really excited because those are like. I want to get moving on those movies to be made from different angles, from different, you yeah. know. Maybe it's like we uh we adopt the the family the storytelling like format and have like a, a a family storytelling day. Do it. Where we just like We should. tell family stories. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean I'm even sure if like she's it. you know, she'd probably speak to you in Korean and you can translate that into, you know, I yeah I already have the gist and it's already like it's so the opening of uh Ode to my father that was my grandma that's what she experienced oh, yeah. she went through all that oh the oh god and she got split from her parents Oof. and everything and she almost died and I didn't know any of this until I was what twenty five yeah I had no idea well Andrew on we're gonna be inviting <laughs> you to a storytelling session yeah. and you're gonna have to make a few movies next make, so so make all of our stories and I was getting to know Jeannie Mai too and like you know at the unforgettable gal like everyone has all these incredible stories she's from san jose so we're like (laughs) girls but she's vietnamese american and like i don't know there's so many so many things to to dive into and they're all like you you want to talk about oscar bait movies these are all oscar bait caliber stories yes you know let's make them (laughs) well thank you sean for uh helping us work through thanks for having me the topic again i've learned so much and that'll do it for this episode of the Collabcast. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed our Moana talk and our more heavy talk. And uh, if you All do irrelevant. like, if you do like what you hear, please leave us a rating review on iTunes. Um, you can also subscribe to us on Google Play Music, Stitcher, and wherever you find podcasts on our RSS feeds. Uh, you can send us an email with topic suggestions, comments, or replies um, to podcast at collaboration dot org. Uh, thanks again to. Timothy John for use of Sound Stubborn uh, for this week's intro and outro. And yeah, we're moving towards episode 100. We're going to do a big live show, hopefully. Are you going to be there, Sean? Trying. Yes. I'm trying. See the light in the sky (laughs) for the sea. We're looking forward to that. Uh, Thanks again for listening and uh, go watch Moana. Seriously. Go watch it. Go watch Moana. (laughs) We're. All right, Disney. Uh, check us in the mail, right? Thanks. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. For me, but I don't want you to go. Whoa! Whoa. Potluck. Potluck.